Okay, here we are. We're gonna, I was wondering about just talking about sex today. <laughs> because often talking about money and sex kind of can sometimes create the same thing. Excitement from one or two. <laughs> Dear Blair. <laughs> and for others, lots of shame and lots of guilt and other stuff going in in our hearts. So we will do some sex stuff in uh, months to come. But that could have probably been worded better. <laughs> we, will, we will talk about sex in uh, seasons to come. See, here's how we are at Carl Vineyard. And this is our fundamental core of who we are. We believe we're a gift to the city. And all we're trying to do is live out of that. So we're not here trying to do anything different. We're just living out. Of, we're a gift. Jesus told us we're a gift to one another. We're a gift to him. And we're a gift to the city. Ultimately, we're a gift to the nations. So all we're trying to do is living out of that reality. So this thing bumbling around at the moment about this catering trailer or burger van or type of thing. Somebody came to me this morning and said, oh, I've had this thing about this burger van. I'm like, did you hear Rhoda talk about that? She said, no. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And all it is is that Jesus has put stuff in our hearts and we're trying to join up the dots what it looks like about being relentlessly good for the city and to pursuing that. And money is part of us being a gift to the city. But as I've done the preparation for this, and as I've been praying through stuff, I keep getting to the point of, as I want to talk about money, I feel like God the Father is saying, let them know how good I am. Let them know how good I am. See, some of us want to get quick to talk about the cash. And God's like, I don't know if they know how good I am. See, our knowledge and our experience of the goodness of God shapes how we handle and see and use or abuse money. If we are gripped by him and his goodness, then we loosen our grip on other things as well. And I don't say this lightly, but it's an absolute honor to have some of the young guys with us in this room today. Like, we, we think you guys are the bee's knees. We, we really are. It's a real honor to have you guys here at your stage of life, planting yourselves here, and we're honored by that. And I'm praying that you guys will just lead the way when it comes to all things generous. Um, just also, just to honor, just ask you, Josh, head teacher, works like bananas. And for the last three weeks, he's just given himself completely, completely to lead the kids in the next door. And I said to him this morning, I said, I love that Jesus didn't even have to ask you to do that. You just went ahead and did it. But if you see Josh today, would you just honor him and bless him and to do that? Because that's huge, isn't it? You know, Angie's here as well. And he's a load of people who just give themselves. And the reason he's doing that is because he knows something of the goodness of God. So he has a looser hold on his time. Because he knows the goodness of God. And knowing and experiencing the goodness of God loosens our grip on certain things. So as we talk about money, we start with the goodness of God and not panic 
not fear, not shame and not guilt. For he is good. He is not hard of hearing. He is not weary and he is not weary of you. He is kind and he is for you. And I love that. He is a good, good father. The last song these guys let in was good, good father. See, I do wonder if there's a possibility that God today wants to sneak into some of our hearts and our heads and shift ever so slightly our understanding of who he is and how relentlessly good he is for us and begins to align and shift our understanding and our picture of God. I mean, imagine the scene. A child has come back from the biggest exams in a child's life so far. And the father is there in the living room, the fire is on, and the child comes through the door. And the eye contact is made, and the child begins to move a couple of steps towards the dad. And the dad just rushes in goodness and embraces the child and squeezes him so hard the exam results fall to the floor. And whether it was an A++ or a big fat F means nothing to the father. Or picture this. It's sports day. Sports day bring out the best and the worst in parents, don't they? And his father is there. Their child begins to run. They're not going to win the race. But it seems to have inspired the father to cheer and to chant all the more, just calling them and beckoning him on. Whether that child falls or fails completely, the father seems to inspire more to be just for that child, for that person, like the, the, you know, the banners are made. And they're just chanting and cheering that child on. I don't know the, your view of God the Father. But the Bible tells us he is a good, good Father. And he is not reserved in his affection for you. I wrote this down in capitals. God is not English. (laughs) That's why we keep the rebels out. (laughs) But God is not English. When it comes to sports day, Kim's not here at the moment, but on... In regards to the Father, I know this might annoy some of you, but if there's a bit of annoyance going on there, I'll say this gently, it's probably just a bit of religion in you. Oh, Kim, perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. And this will... I know, I know. But here's the thing I'm going to say. When in regards to sports day and your child running, some of you feel and experience that God is English towards you. They'd be raising an eyebrow in your direction at best. God is more like Kim Holterhoff on sports day over their child than a reserved 
Englishman. Do you get that? Do you get what I'm saying? So bless you, Kim, and your enthusiasm. You remind us of the goodness of the Father. Oh, really? <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, yours, yeah. <laughs> always ready, always ready to go, always ready to go. I am. Um, see, God is not the reserved Englishman. He is just utterly and completely for you in his goodness towards you. He has chosen to put his affection on you. On you. It's on you. His goodness knows no end or limit towards you. He is a good, good father. I am. Um, I'm going to show you something now. It is cheesy. It's old. And the music is um, cringeworthy. Would you still like to see it? You cheesy guys. Okay.
Deuteronomy. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. They are his own special possession. He found them in the desert land, in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young, so he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinion. Now, if you're anything like me, you're wondering, what is a pinion? Pinion is a feather. The strength of God is that he can carry you on his feathers. That's what his feathers can do. Imagine his hand, his presence, goodness. See, I didn't show you that just to make you emotional. I'm not into emotionalism. But I do want to stir and spark your heart somewhat in regards to experiencing something of the goodness of God. See, God is not this one standing back, critically, constructively criticizing you over every simple fall and failure in your life. He knows you, and yet still says, I love you, and I am for you. He is the one cheering us on, calling out who we are. And I love that clip of his dad just bursting through the officials. Did you see that? Just brushing him aside. And I love that, that God the Father was not held back by religion, not held back by anything, but he just brushed it all aside to do all that he could to come alongside his son. And that is a picture of a good, good father. That he'll do all he'll do all that he can to come alongside you, to love you, to walk with you, to hold you, to secure you. See, where our security is, so our freedom will be. If we know we are loved and held, then we dare to risk more. If we know we are loved and we're going to be held, then we will run run harder, jump further, and risk more. With our Anna, I remember um, one of the games I used to do with her was when I'd get her to stand on a couple of steps and jump, and I'd catch her. And it was great. Step one, step two, easy. Step three, step four, further. We eventually got to ten. I didn't do it so much with Noah, but with Anna, man, and she would I mean it's in the nicest way, but she'd be like a flying squirrel. She would just launch herself. But the only reason she would launch herself, and it's Barney, isn't it? She's on step nine or ten, and she's looking, and it's quite a long way down, and it's hard ground. And the only, the only, the only, the only reason that she would launch herself down is because there was a good father there at the bottom doing all that he could, could to catch her nearly every time. <laughs> 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 I 
So no, a good, an okay dad at the bottom. But these people here at the moment, when we talk about money, you are petrified of taking a step into generosity because you think you're going to fall flat on your face. This whole introduction is about the goodness of God. And if you know about the goodness and the security of God, then you will step out. You will take that risk because he is there for you. He is constantly there for you. So here's a couple of things about money. Money can raise stuff in our hearts like fear quicker than most other things. Fear of not having enough or fear of uh, who's going to provide for me in the years to come. Fear of um, perhaps, yes, like not having enough or actually fear of having too much and I might lose it. Fear of uh, what can people take from me. Fear of why do you want to know me. Fear of who is going to take from me and have no return. Fear of earning too little or too much. And here's the thing about money, and this may surprise you, but I actually like it. I like money. Does that sound funny, sounding it in a church context? I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that from the front in church. I like money. You know why I like money? I like, oh sorry, that's rude of me to answer, ask a question, not even that. Why do you think I like money? Absolutely! Why else do you think I like money? Yeah, and give it away. Why else do you think I like money? Security? See, money, for me, is a wonderful servant. You can tell money what to do and he'll go and do it. Like, I've seen money um, go and bring life and joy to someone. I've seen money go and give food to the hungry. I've seen money go and bring restoration to some people. I've seen money bring health to some people. I've seen money put a new roof on a house. I've seen money um, create a new home for someone from when there was just dampness. I've seen money do some incredibly wonderful things. And I would declare that money is a wonderful servant and a terrible master. Money is a wonderful servant but a terrible master. Why do you think it's a terrible master? Yeah, it could control your life. Why is money a terrible master? It's a lie. Is money the root of all sorts of evil? The love of money, yeah. But I know what, yeah. There's a dark side to money, isn't there? Yeah, somebody once said, um, in fact, just I think this morning over breakfast, we had Ronnie and Sam there, and, we, and I was asking them this question over bacon. And they said, you know, I said, why, does, why is money a bad master, horrid master? And said, isn't anything other than Jesus a horrible master? I was just like, yeah, you're right. See, money has this funny thing that it can kind of nearly woo you in to such an extent that you think you've got a grip on it and then it'll get a grip of you and suddenly you'll see the dark side of money. See, money is an amazing servant but a horrible master. And I love that what money can do, but it also breaks my heart to see what money can do as well. 
See, God is constantly inviting us to step in a new way of living. He's constantly inviting us to step into his way of doing life. And it's called the kingdom of God. It's called where Jesus is Lord and money is not. And one of the questions that we often look at is, what does it look like for a community, for Caral Vineyard, to live the life that God intended us to live? What did it look like for us to live a life where we're not gripped by fear, but we are shaped by the grace and the goodness of God? And here's a glimpse into what it looks like for a community to live that kind of life. This is Acts chapter 4 and a glimpse into the early church. Listen in with how they handle their money and see who's the master here. Hear who, um, see where money has its place. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John, what is it? They've just been talking to people who didn't really want to hear about Jesus. They have been battered and bruised and they've come back thrilled that they would be counted worthy. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator in heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestors, David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Pilate, the governor, Gentiles, and all the people of Israel were united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Now listen to this. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with great boldness. So this community here has been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like? Well, this is what it looks like. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people amongst them because those with, who owned land and houses would sell them and bring their money to the apostles to give to those in need. So what does it look like for a church, for a community to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us there that people are without need. One of the reasons Carlisle, as he said, Carlisle United exists there, but I think that united thing is, what is it, one of the reasons that Carlisle Vineyard is united on this is that we are for the city. We are way more concerned about what's going on in the city, whether our chairs match, 
And I actually really like how our chairs match. I think they match perfectly. So we're way more concerned about what's going out there than what's in here keeping us comfortable. See, one of the reasons that we exist as a church is see the needs of the city met through us. Giving what's in our hand, what's in our pocket, what's in our wallet, what's in our bank, away. Uh, Jan Blair is an incredible lady. This is Jan Blair over here at the back. She's amazing. She's just someone who just has said yes to Jesus and given her all. Whether people are watching or people are not watching, she doesn't care. And she has served the city in a whole load of different ways, whether officially or unofficially. A few weeks ago, Jan was in the office. And she said, okay, what do you want me to do? And I said, Jan, would you find out the five greatest needs in the city? And she said, okay, I'll go. Now, I would suspect, you ask most people that, and they'll go, okay, yeah. And you'll ask him in six months' time, like, oh, yeah, uh, well, you know. Well, Jan comes back, I think about nine days later, and says, okay, I've got the list, do you want it? <laughs> and I just little reporter notebook and just starts listing off the needs in the city. The first two needs, isolation and loneliness. And we talk about some other things as well. And then we just turn back, because John's like, okay, what do you want me to do now? I say, okay, would you come up with a plan that we can follow for the next 50 years to meet those needs? So that's what John's pondering at the moment. But we're taking your lead, Jan, and we want to follow in that. But here's where this uh, sermon hits the road. See, we can sit in a room and talk about money. We can talk about the goodness of God. But if if God's message just gets to our head that we know, to our heart that we experience, but I mean this in all respect, it's not a proper sermon until the needs of this city start getting met. It's not a proper sermon. It's not a biblical message if it stays in the room. I've only done... I can, I can only do what I can do. But God's message is not to end up in a cul-de-sac of comfort. This message that God is for the poor, God is for the hurting, God is for those who are far from Him is a message that needs to leave my heart and get me out of my cul-de-sac and be connected into the city. So I don't know what this burger, ba- burger van or encouragement trailer is going to look like, but I know it's going to be fun. And I love this idea of just turning up into a, a business context at the hospital or a, a school or whatever it is, a local park, and just saying, okay, a hundred free burgers, who wants them? Like, who are you people? Who are you people? Oh, we're the generous people. We know something of the goodness of God. And he wants to meet you. So, when I read this scripture, and I read it again, it says this. There was no needy people amongst them. Because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring their money to the apostles to give to those in need. See, this is what it looks like for a community to have a different king, a different master, other than money. A community shaped by the goodness of God. 
fueled by the Holy Spirit and generous to the core. This is the kingdom life lived out. So I wonder, um, I wonder what God is saying to you today. We heard a story a couple of weeks ago um, about a lady from Sutton Vineyard Church. I think it was, was it six? Karen, do you know the story? I don't know if you know about the lady. Was it 16 years ago? She, um, God spoke to her and said, I want you to start saving up for um, a ministry to help children. So she started saving up. Then I don't, I think she was at Sutton Vineyard Church for maybe a couple of years. Tell us the story, Karen. This is Karen. This is... Um, we were part of Sutton Vineyard years ago, so I know the story. Um, they wanted a family pastor um, for church. They have about 200 kids in their kids' group. And they were praying for enough money to be able to do that. And the first time Jason, who leads Sutton Vineyard, went to the church, he said, we need to raise money. Can you give to be so we can have a family pastor? So the church that day started to give for a family church. Um, pastor. This lady was visiting. She'd been at other churches and she was visiting. And God said to her, that's why you've been saving the money. So she went away for two weeks and thought about it and went back to the church and said, there's the money and there's enough money to fund that pastor for two years. Isn't that incredible? So here's my thing to you today. What is God putting in your heart for the needs in this city. For I believe that you are a gift. A gift to the city. And as Jesus becomes Lord more and more, our grip on things is loosened. And money no longer is our master, but it becomes our servant. So what is it that God is putting in your heart to see the needs in this city met. I wonder if we'll have a story like that in years to come. See, I believe that you are, you have something within you that is unique. Utterly unique. And only you can fulfill it. It's a bit like um, a solo part in a song. And there's a moment comes and all the eyes appointed to you in this moment. I believe there's a need in this city that only you can meet. And it may be through your money, and it may be through your time. See, this talk today isn't really about money. It's about Jesus being Lord. And when Jesus is Lord, everything else falls into place. Okay, guys, time has gone, and I've only started but I am unapologetic for talking about the goodness of God. So moving forward, how do we constantly pursue this generous Father? Well, we pursue with all that he has in that. As we pursue the goodness of God, we see that more and more he is going to fill our hearts 
more and more with his goodness. And as we live this generous life, we realize that we need his wisdom as well. Because Rhoda and I, we've given, and we're generous people, and we love to give, I love to give. But sometimes my giving outweighs um, for Rhoda and I. Our giving is, is bigger than our wisdom. And I'm sometimes wondering, Jesus, do we need to stop being so generous or do we need a bigger reservoir, if you know what I mean? And I don't think God, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think God wants us to be, uh, have a smaller heart in generosity? Or do you think he wants to give a bigger reservoir? See, one, part of my prayer is for this. God has given us here at Calavinia a huge vision. It's a huge vision. But our resources don't match it. So what do you think? God's saying, mm, love less, pursue less, or I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more. But I think what he's doing at the moment is just watching how we handle the little. So that thing you have in your hand right now, whatever that is, and for you, maybe 10p, maybe 10,000 pounds, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is what's got the grip on you? Or have you got a grip on it? And whatever's in your hand will determine what's really going on in your heart. So I think God this next week is going to create some spaces for opportunity for each one of us to meet a need in this city. When that need comes before us, we're not going to know what it is. I mean, already as a church community, we're going to meet one of the needs in the city. Do you know, I love that. I love that as a church we can be responsive as that. But I wonder... What is in store for us there? Uh, listen, we, um, I even mentioned this, but I'll just mention it in closing. Um, for those in the room who are actively worried about debt, um, or you've nearly gone past the worry stage and into denial, um, help is just a conversation away. It, it really is. Help is just a conversation away. Uh, you've got CAP in the city doing an incredible job helping people. Uh, you can come and speak to your small group leader or somebody uh, trusted as well, but help is only... A, uh, a conversation away and I want to say this last thing bankruptcy is not the end of you bankruptcy and debt is not the end of you it's a start in your adventure to generosity in September Phil and Laura asked you are going to be doing some stuff on stewardship and it's going to be talking about from debt to generosity and that is what we declare over this city over this community